All right, so now we're live. We're back. Right. I'm finally back. Fit and Shit Podcast. I'm with my boy, Gary Falcone. Gary's, Hell yeah. Gary's another uh, West Haven guy. Um, born, born and born bred. And raised. Yes, born yeah. and bred. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary and I became close over the last like year or so, but um, mm-hmm. we're going to kind of do this interview. like uh, No post-production. We're just going to get into it. Um, you know, is there anything off the table that you don't want to talk about? Absolutely not. I get into it. Absolutely not. I mean, the the way I feel about it is, and I think we talked about this briefly, is like you either got two choices. You're either going to go into a podcast and you're going to bury your soul and you're really going to help somebody, mm-hmm. or you're going to go in there and basically just try to, pres- you know, maybe uh, promote yourself or whatever product you're promoting and not really be really real with anybody and, you know. You leave the impression you want. Um, I want my legacy to be that I've always been an open book. So exactly. All right. So, so what I want to get into, we're going to go from your upbringing mm. to what you went through, mm. um, family stuff yep. with your father and yep. everything. Then I want to touch on um, sports. Then into your music. Sure. And into what you're doing now, and then, like you said, also promoting yourself and what you got going on in the future. So yeah, cool. Um, let's touch base on everything. So why don't you start with? Um, your upbringing here in West Haven. I know your father was a pro athlete. Yeah, so yeah. So I, wa- I want to hear all about this. So, yeah. So why don't we start when you were uh, born and raised in West Haven? <laughs> well, all right. So you were born and res- raised in West Haven, too. Uh, all we have in common in West Haven is 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 just like it's a blue-collar town, you know. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of grit. We got a lot of realness in this town. Um, yeah, we got sandy beaches, but um, it wasn't. It, shit wasn't so sweet when people came to visit those bi- those beaches no, when we were little. You feel not. me? So it wasn't like any nine nine oh two one oh stuff. But that being said, um, at an early age, uh, my dad he started making a bunch of money, um, a lot a lot more money than I would say most of my friends who I was close with around the area. And I didn't even take notice of it honestly because I'm just a kid. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me like when we go out and play. That's another thing, like, nobody goes out and plays no more. Um, all we had to do was, you know, we'd get up in the morning, we'd ride our bikes to each other's houses, we'd have 10-on-10, 11-on-11 football games, we'd have 9-on-9 baseball games, we'd have, you know, basketball games, we'd run them from sun up to sun down. So we didn't spend a lot of time indoors, so there wasn't a lot of chance to, like, you know, go to people's houses. You had sleepovers and stuff, but I never, I never, I never like, took notice of, like, oh, uh, this couch, uh, you know, who, who the fuck am I think I am? You know what I mean? This yeah, couch yeah. ain't we nice, or so like this floor ain't good. Yeah, I didn't give a shit. I didn't even care. know, man. I don't care if it's a blow-up mattress. I had no, or, I, yeah. Bro, I was sleeping on the, in the dog's bed most of the time. My, my <laughs> boy's place, because he had a German Shepherd, I thought it was comfortable, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, what happened was, like, you know, at an early age, I realized, okay, you know, like, my dad or my mom, you know, who used to wear, wear like, full-length uh, furs to, to Seth Haley and picked me up in a limousine, um, I was like, all right, th- this is weird. This is different. Uh, kids are talking about it. So I had a little bit of a different experience. I wanted to fit in. I, I felt like I was, uh, I was a very skinny, you know, bag of bones kid, good athlete, but you know what it's like growing up in West Haven, man. Um, you know, uh, you don't have to, you can be a kid who's never had a fight in your life or never wanted to fight in your life. 
and you're gonna fight five six times growing oh, sure. up you know what i mean sure. and that's just like that's at the very thinking. least yeah oh man and i'm just like saying to myself like god don't fucking pick on me just don't pick <laughs> me you know what i mean when i was smaller so i mean i had a little bit of a different experience because i wasn't out in these streets like a lot of these kids that had some let's just say um let's just say more less misfortunate yeah, yeah less yeah, fortunate yeah. experiences than me and had to spend a lot more times out in the streets and out you know learning those lessons early um not to say that i ever you know acted like i was richie rich um it's just that that's when i like realized like oh okay things are a little different things are a little different but um for me um you know the type of guy i am and anybody you ask i never changed so I used it as a uh, like an advantage. I turned my parents turned this uh, garage into a rec room. It's the infamous rec room. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody who grew up in West Haven from 1985 through uh, about I don't even know when because Jaden was using it too. So uh, through through the early 2000s, you knew about the rec room. And I mean the old line that I always use. It's somebody else's joke, but I mean honestly, it was like the Mayflower. Babies were born, people died in there. I mean, the first time people got drunk were in there. First time yeah. people had sex was in there. It's just like crazy. It was the fun, man. Was yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. So West Haven to me was a was a mixed bag because um, yes, I loved it, and I still have lifetime friends. I love West Haven to the death, and I came back, and I'll always be here, and I'll die here. Uh, but growing up, I wouldn't say I had the quintessential West Haven experience just because of that. All right, just because of the fact that like you know. Uh, you know, had the rec room, you know what I mean? And uh, had my parents, uh, you know, driving around in nice whips and I would take their whips and I would flex them like they were mine, <laughs> jump on the cell phone and shit. But, um, you know, needless to say, though, I was, uh, I felt like I was always genuine and real. And, uh, you know, I never, I never ever acted like that. You know, I just tried to make friends with people and shit and connect. So. So how how was it? So when your when your dad was playing, so he played professional baseball. Yes, 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 yes. When he was playing ball, how old were you? Were okay, you, were you in the picture yet? Okay, or so did he? All right, so he. All right, so 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 the timeline to that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to. You want to. You want to. I mean, I think there might be a superhero upstairs. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. The I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just leave it. Keep Coley mania run. running wild. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, yeah, like, uh, let's see. Um, all right, so yeah, he played baseball. Let's see, sixty-five to sixty-nine. He went to he, first of all, my dad goes to Notre Dame and West Haven. He has a ninety-eight average or something like that, something just ungodly, you know. Yeah. Uh, then he goes to Harvard. I mean, you know, and he has the same A plus type average. He goes for four years. Um, he, he was drafted by the New York Yankees out of high school, and, and then he, he his my grandfather, who's now deceased, he he told him, Nah, you going to college. So he got accepted to, um, I believe, Harvard and maybe one more Princeton or something like that. One more Ivy League school. Um, other, other schools wanted him, um, but back in the time, back in that time in the '60s, if you remember correctly, like um, the big game, Harvard versus Yale, yeah. um, that was like the game in like oh, in the early '60s. Yeah. Whereas both teams might have even been ranked. Um, Ivy League sports was were were nationally ranked in, in, in the sixties, yeah. yeah. yeah like so that. yeah, not like they are now, where it's just kind of you know it's yeah. just a little bit of a joke compared to the Alabamas and Michigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back then he's playing for Harvard, which is you know a top team in the nation, um, and he's just you know he's he's balling. 
Uh, my dad was never plus size. He was he was he was a midget. <laughs> I mean, in in, in uh, no no offense to with midgets, but I mean in baseball terms, the guy was yeah, athletic terms, small guy. Yeah, he was a small guy. You know, um, five nine. Uh, you know, probably about one hundred sixty five pounds. He was fast, um, and he can he, he can never strike him out. Um, he didn't really hit for power, but when he got a hold of one, he can he can do it. Um, but just had the, the the fire, you know, that fire and that that it basically is that it was that West Haven. Uh, mentality that was built into him that never give up never quit um nobody nobody can beat me type shit and i and i know it seems like uh immature right to people that don't they're not from here and they look at us as like uh, i don't know maybe like heathens or um, you know people that are just like crude right oh, yeah. or only oh, yeah crazy, only think about simple stuff and don't think about intricate things but really it was just about the fire that he played with and i don't think that they had that in their souls because they didn't grow up as hard as he did yeah um, and so that's it, man. He played 65 to 69. He played for, uh, Sparky Anderson, you know, who, who was, he was the first, uh, manager to win the world series in both leagues. He won with the, the big red machine in 1975 with, um, all those guys, Pete Rose and all those guys. Yeah. Then he went over in 1984 and coached the Cecil Fielder, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker team, um, gotcha. and, and won the world series there as well. So now my dad, you know, my dad flashing back paid, played for him in like the Iowa Springs League uh, in the minor leagues. And, I mean, that's got to be in a whole other podcast when we oh, go into course, those yeah, stories, yeah, because yeah. that just takes too long. But, I mean, the guy's just Hall of class, Hall of Fame guy. We'll get, we'll get him um, in here and talk. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, five-hour. Oh, five my father, hour. yeah, yeah. I mean, Sparky, you know, God rest his soul, he's deceased now. But he was just – just think about, you know, the most one of the most classic managers of all time. I mean, just that's who my dad was able to play for. So it was a great thing for him. He got hurt. Um, he got hurt. He tried to continue to play. This was probably around 1969, 1970. Uh, finally, he quit playing right around that time. I was born in 1974. So he wasn't playing, but at the same time, he, w- he went back to college. He went back to law school. Um, thank God the guy goes to Harvard because he, he got back into Cornell Law School, you know, um, and was going to law school either at the time of my birth or, or like j- had just finished right after, right? Yep. Um, and so, yeah, we were living, um, back in my grandfather's place on Phillips Terrace in West Haven. Um, and you know, uh, when we moved into that house that I'm talking about, when I first time I realized my dad, I think I had a little bit of money, uh, that might've been 1982 or something like that. So yeah, for the first six, uh, seven years of my life, it's not like I was, you know, poor or anything, but we were just living in a, a regular class neighborhood actually was behind jindy's i don't know if you remember you know where jindy's is yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's behind jindy's towards new haven yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. and i turned seven or eight and went to seven all right so so he was around this whole time i didn't know yeah it was like off traveling no still no he tried he tried but then by the time i was born it was it was all he just yeah he just lost his speed he he wasn't a power hitter and uh you know he lost what what his strength was all right so then um yeah. So then, uh, let's see. What's that brings us to now? He's so now, uh, now. Let's let's. I'm in West Haven. So you're in West Haven. Yep. Now you're getting to like high school age. Yeah. Now you've realized you know you got some money. This and that. I know. And, and you get to high school. Age. Yeah. So so how was uh? I hated how, it. How was the upbringing with the parents first? <laughs> well, my parents were. I mean, because you were a little think, rebellious. Think, I assume. You know what I mean. Well. Another one, Tiffany, who, you know, unfortunately she just passed recently. But Tiffany was, and anybody who knew her and loved her was, you know, quite possibly one of the one of the wildest people who, to ever come through West Haven. And that's a pretty, 
that's let's a say that's a, that's a pretty uh, you know <laughs> pretty big list to be on. It's a yeah, big yeah, deal, yeah. right? You know, if she's a, if she's a top ten or a top twenty or even top hundred in this town's history of wildness, then that's pretty. I don't know if it's something she's to be proud of or <laughs> or scared of. Well, you can but be proud of now. I guess now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrate her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, right around the time when um, Tip was, let's say, coming into her own um, as as the Joker of West Haven. Um, I, I'm like two years behind her. So honestly, my experience in West Haven, uh, in middle school started to become miserable for me. I loved my, my, my friends. I still love them to this day. I still see dudes from seventh and eighth grade. I'm 46 years old for anybody that wants to know, but I still see dudes from legit. Let's see over, let's see, 46 years old, over 30 four years, years ago yeah, something yeah. like that right when we first started seventh grade and um it's great like yeah. it's, it's 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 you know we we look at each other like we know each other forever well that goes back to what you're saying about west Haven. yeah it's like that loyalty thing you yeah know what I mean? like something Never about something about the upbringing around here as a whole yeah makes people kind of stick together yeah you know we talked about it you know the other day yeah. too um you know, just the, the loyalty and, and the codes that we happen to live by, you know, mm-hmm. that other cities or towns, for whatever reason, this is like a town-wide thing. Like, yeah. If, if another town comes in here or people from out of town come and mess with what's ours, yeah, we gang up like, a, you know, oh, yeah. and all of a sudden uh, it's, it's West a, Haven versus everybody. It's a 50s you know? turf war. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's never, ever going to leave. It's like in this <laughs> Groundhog Day, you know what I mean? I it's, it and Yeah, I, you know what? I love it too. And, and I love it for the fact that I know my friends are protected. I know that if it's, you know, like, let's say, you know, if it's your girlfriend or something and, you know, she's around people that you trust, number one, because <laughs> it's tough to find that, too. But if you trust somebody and, and there's a lot of trust within strangers. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to say strangers, but let's say people that are not in your friend's circle. Yeah, yeah. If you're from West Haven and they're from West Haven and there's a big problem, you're in downtown New Haven and you got kind of, you know that that person's from your, your town. Yeah. You're going to show out for them. I yeah, know I am. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, you yeah. are. I know most of us are. Absolutely. Because you know, word's gonna go around if you didn't, okay. you know, and we, and we knew exactly. that that was gonna happen yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was other towns like that too. Hamden was like that too. Oh, yeah. uh, parts, you know, you know, New Haven and East Haven, definitely. Like the, our area, our little area was all like that. Yeah. I liked it though. I, I, I liked that aspect of it. What I didn't like about it, and what I didn't understand honestly until I came back um, as an adult until my thirties, is was back then. I thought people were basically assimilating me with the behavior that my sister was, uh, you know, exactly. I was too young. Gary must be a wild. Exactly. Like whatever she does, I was getting kind of, you know, oh, well, you know, he's in on that too. Or, or my sister would maybe, um, who knows, get it, get into some sort of issue. Now, obviously who knows how it started or or who was involved in it. But I mean, she was no angel a lot of times. So it's like, I had to worry about maybe somebody like, hey, if they couldn't get at her, they might want to get at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I I can tell you, a few times in my life, it it caught up with me with people that I didn't even recognize or understand or why that we're having this issue or even fight sometimes. And it's just, yeah, exactly, just because they couldn't get at her. Or, or, or like, you know, I'm walking around and these dudes just give me like the dirtiest looks in the world. And I'm like, what, what happened here? Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even, I've never even seen them. And like getting in the car and following me, you know, I was like, okay. So, um, you know, it was a little bit of a weird experience. I ended up, um, I went to West Haven High School for one year. I went to Notre Dame of West Haven. uh, My freshman year was 89, 90. 
Uh, I got kicked out of Notre Dame um, in two months, you know, by by Christmas time. Um, just just a, ser- a series of events. Just it was, just, it was a series of events. Yeah, another podcast. Uh, and then <laughs> then I went to West Haven High School for the second half of my freshman year. Um, you know, ended up playing on the, on the varsity basketball team, which was really cool. I, I ended up playing with a couple great players who I thought were amazing. Uh, um, Snooty, um, Darian Coleman. Um, I also played with, uh, let's see, I think Terreno Walker was on that team. Um, he was a tall um, uh, center that we had. Anthony Wilson was a freshman at that time. I know he's a good player. My memory uh, is is killing me right now, so if I don't mention you, please don't take it personally. Um, there's a couple guys that I don't remember that were nasty. I just can't. I mean, honestly, it was, we're talking years and years and years and years ago. But anyways, it was fun. I was able to play some ball, played some baseball, made some good friends. But one thing I never did was go to class. Uh, back then, for all you youngsters, uh, West Haven had the pink lady, the green lady, and the blue lady. There was no cops. There was no security. Yeah. They hired old ladies that were already retired. Now we're talking oh, 75 plus. Was there, yeah. Okay. And so the pink lady be on the first floor, blue in a second, and the green yeah. lady on the third. So after the bells rung, they would literally walk around. And if you were outside of class, they would grab your wrist and they would bring you to the office. Our game was last person to get caught, or if you never got caught, then you won the game. You know, yeah, we'd all yeah. put in maybe a dollar or two because we didn't have a lot of money, whatever our lunch money was, and we would win the pot at the end. Um, you know, I would always cheat. You know, I would always, like, um, leave the school in uh, Louis Rascati's trunk and because uh, he was a senior and I was a freshman <laughs> and uh, go to Burger King for a period then come back. By the time I came back, like, three kids got caught. Um, you know, sometimes they would grab me by the wrist – I would act like I got caught. Okay, cool. We're walking. Walk, walk, yeah, walk by a staircase, rip my hand down real quick, and then book down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. I never lost. I, I, I never, never lost. I didn't win every time, but I never lost. But that was my career at West Haven. So finally, at one point, they sent my dad a letter who had dropped me off to school every morning before he went to work, which was, you know, half a mile away, that I hadn't been to school in over 60 days. <laughs> so, oh, Jesus. So I was done. Yeah. So, you know, I transferred to Hamden Hall. I went there from 11th until 12th grade. I ended up having a great time. Um, did pretty well at sports. I thought I was going to be a baseball player. I played a bunch of sports. I played actually four sports my uh, senior year, uh, including golf. I played soccer, basketball, baseball, and golf. And, um, excuse me, hold on. That burp off the mic. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, uh, my sister had already been recruited, full boat, full ride. Division one to Southern Methodist University to play soccer. She's, you know, if anybody doesn't know her history, she's the greatest um, women's high school soccer player in, in, in West Haven High School history, and it's not even close. Um, I, it's it's not it's, it's not even a, a debatable thing. I'm not biased. Just look at the numbers. I mean, we won't even get into it. But what we'll just use is the Jay Z line: men lie, women lie, numbers don't. My sister averaged uh, a goal a game, 55 goals in 55 games. And I think she was even suspended for maybe a handful of those games. So until you can come to me with a girl that has an average better than that, then, um, you know, we could talk about it at that point. <laughs> but um, uh, anyways, man, so, you know, the only reason why they even let me down there was because her, right? Oh, so uh, you got recruited. Yeah, I mean, but they really didn't, you know, they, they handed me just a little bit of money and they told me I needed to pass some classes in order to, like, actually even make the team and all that. I didn't do anything. I got kicked out of the whole school. Um, I ended up going to Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, which was like a backup school. Um, I don't know what we excuse we told them, but it didn't matter. I was out of there in uh, one semester as well. I actually took I, – I never – this is a – I guess this was a record for them. 
I, I uh, never dropped a class, never bought a book, took all of the finals, never attended a class, and received a 0.0. So it's like you can get a 0.0 just by signing up and not dropping out of the class. Yeah, like yeah. you don't have to – like I, I took finals, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Studied for them and everything. Like, yeah. I, you know, I tried and got a 0.0. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I played intramural sports, right, yeah, yeah. during this. Yeah. And the uniforms came in, and it was a jersey on the back instead of my name because everybody got their names and numbers. Yeah. Mine said my number was it. I thought it was double zero, yeah. which was pretty cool, but it had a point in the middle of it, so it was zero point zero, and the name was Einstein on the back. <laughs> <laughs> that was your basketball. That was my like intramural jersey. I had to wear it for every yeah, <laughs> every sport. That was perfect. Yeah. So you know, at one point, I realized that I wasn't a scholar. Uh, my dad did too. And I was very, very interested in rap music ever since I was a little kid. And uh, that was at the point in which I decided, like, um, I, I was just going to stop trying to fake like I was a student. And I was going to try to pursue my dreams. I want to be a rapper. So now now with that, <clears throat> is that something that you dabbled with, like, in high school or anything like that? Or was yeah. that just something you thought about? No, no, I, d I definitely dabbled with. It started with, it stopped, it started with writing poems. In sixth and even seventh, I think the earliest poem that I wrote, trying to write a poem. And when you write a poem when you're that young, you think they have to rhyme. Exactly. At least I did. Yeah, I still think that. Yeah. I can't write a poem no, without rhyming. No, I know. I know. I know. I mean, it's funny how you, you try to be romantic with a woman at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're rhyming. Yeah, yeah. Shit. You're on some Roses is Red shit. You're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, I think the first poems I wrote were either sixth or seventh grade. Um, but I would like to do it because I felt like I was good at it. Um, I was trying to come up with clever ideas, what words to rhyme with each other. That interested me. Um, I remember when I first got into rap music was only because I was into rock music that only had the hip-hop beats. For instance, like Van Halen, their first couple albums, before I heard a rap album, I would be like um, drawn to the... Drum yeah, yeah, like yeah. when the break hit, or or if they started the the song with an intro with just drums, yeah. that's like that was my that was my shit. And then I listened to the song. I wasn't really too crazy. I almost was like, I want you know, stop playing the guitar. I just want to hear the beat. But then came that like Aerosmith, yes. DMC, yeah, and that yeah, changed everything. Totally, totally. That changed everything on that front. Although I'm a little bit older, so like I remember like Rockbox by Run DMC, and I think that was eighty two, eighty one. If I'm if I remember correctly, um, I'm not sure, but I mean I, I remember there being rap before, like you know the Van Halen and hair metal shit. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, um, it wasn't so mainstream. No, it's not at all, dude. I had to find it on underground tapes, like Lottie Dottie. I found that on an underground cassette tape uh, radio show from uh, it's called uh, Stretch and Bobito from from New York City, and I would tape it late at night and I would bring it in. That was in sixth grade, so that was in, you know, 19, who knows, I forget how old I was, 85 or 86, 87 maybe. Um, so, yeah, yeah, started with, like, Lottie Dottie and Slick Rick, Big Daddy Kane, um, you know, Cool G Rap. Uh, even before that, though, I was into Curtis Blow. I was into uh, Dana Dane. Um, oh, man, I wish I could jog my memory and get them all. But, like, um, there was a lot of old, old school rappers that I was really into as well. Um, that were like a big at the time. Yeah, Cole Crush, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all those guys. So, uh, well, let you me know. Add, before you continue, let me yeah. ask: Did this poetry start as something you were doing as a class thing, or was it a 
free writing thing you were doing off of maybe journaling for your own good? No. Or did it start with, because on this I like to talk a lot about mental health too, so mm -hmm. was this like an outlet for you? And is that how the poetry thing started? It. I wish that I had thought of it as an outlet for myself, but it was an assignment we were given, you know, write a poem about something. I did it, and then I found out I loved it. And it's that simple. Like, if you don't try something, you're never going to know whether it's your thing or not. And um, I'm not going to say ever since that point, you know, I yeah, always yeah, try yeah. what I wanted. There's still things that I regret in my life that I haven't tried that I really want to try. And I'm like getting old and I'm like, damn, I really want to get at this. But I remember just uh, having an assignment. I'm not sure if it was fifth or sixth or whatever it was, but um, I needed to write some poetry. And um, I started to do it and I really enjoyed it. So what I did was as I was getting older and especially when I joined high school, I didn't do too much rapping at all in middle school just to myself. Um, the Beastie Boys were out when I was in sixth grade, so I used to listen to them and I used to memorize all their lyrics and just rap all of their lyrics like in the shower or in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have any original uh, lyrics, but I used to just like pretend I was ad rock yeah, yeah, like every other kid. Um, and then I did the same thing when Tribe Called Quest came out. I memorized their whole like when they, when the Low End Theory came out, it just felt like time stopped. Um, every single car had it playing. It was it was. It was like I've never heard anything like him in my life to this day. I mean, oh, yeah, although I don't chill with the younger crowd, like, you know, as much as I did when I was back then. But it was different back then, too, though, because back then there was only maybe like, let's say, 20 or 30 signed um, rappers that you had access to. Yeah, now now there's a million, you know, there's a new song every day. Mm -hmm. Back then, an album would come out and that would be it for three months. Yeah. Like, and you had That's to rock with it yeah, or yeah. you didn't like it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like time stopped when that came out. I think I think what motivated me to rap the most was Beastie Boys when I was in sixth grade. That showed me that a white guy could rap. Um, that took some of the uh, the pressure off of you feeling like it's something you shouldn't be doing. Exactly, you know I mean? something like, that I couldn't do. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, something yeah. that I would never be accepted at doing. Exactly. It's funny, man. These young guys today, they don't even think that that would that's a thing. There's so many white rappers. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many white rappers out there today. Back when I was really trying to do it, I was a, I was a commodity. I was this little skinny uh, white kid. Uh, they got braces at the time, maybe still when I was 15, trying to like turn my poems into raps. I was awful. I absolutely just, you know, I couldn't even stand myself, let alone, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love this. I love this. And I, and I tried and I tried and I tried. And I just tried to keep on trying to turn them into song lyrics the way that I did it. What I was, I was listening to my favorite, like Big Daddy Kane song, or De La song, or Tribe song, and I would, I would legit just take out the words from their rhyme patterns to keep their same rhythms and fill in my words. Yeah, almost like a jacking for beats type. Yeah, like just that. basically like jacking his rhythm, jacking yeah, yeah. his cadence, and jacking his flow. Everything. I just didn't. Just yeah, I didn't know how to rap, but I knew I couldn't bite his words. So I just would put my own words in there. So um, sometimes it worked. I mean, it never worked. But in my in my <laughs> head, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, you know. But that's really, I think that's the essence of all kinds of music. I think that every musician emulates who they idolize at oh, one absolutely. point. They, they, there's points of every rapper's career. If yeah. You look back, 
Yeah. You can see who influenced them more than another rapper. Yeah, you know but I mean? it's still their own style. Oh, absolutely. I could sit here and try to word for word rap something that somebody, you know, a J. Cole verse or whatever. I'll never have it sound like him doing it. Yeah. It'll be my own deal. So what I mean is like, even if I fill in my own words to their cadences, and even if it sounds like it's their uh, delivery, what I was thinking was back then, it's going to be my voice, it's going to be my words, uh, it's going to be over my beat, um, you know, it's going to be my style, I guess. So I think my style is a conglomeration of all my favorite rappers, the way they used to rap, and then if you do it for a long enough time, and you have to freestyle every night, every day and every night, just to, just to train your brain to... Uh, Train your mouth to say what's on your mind as at the exact same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very difficult thing to do. People don't realize. No, that. my and God, because a lot of rappers these days can't do it. I know. A lot of rappers, period, couldn't couldn't do no, it. No, I know. At the level that, like, the, probably the best guys. In the in. In, in the nineties, yeah, all right. Exactly. So 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 you go on bars on ninety five these days, mm. you will never. And I and I'll put money on it. But I oh, listen. Real I, not, I, I don't know those dudes, but yeah. I'm just saying. And I'm not, and, 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 you know, whatever. I don't know them, so I'm not trying to say, like, I know from them. But from everything I've seen, I've only heard a written verse. Mm. Not to say that, I, that that's not a good thing to do. You want to represent yourself in the best way yeah, possible. Absolutely. But, dude, in the 90s, we had signed rappers. You know what I mean? Like, Tame One from the Artifacts. We had, you know, we had Red Man going up there. We had KRS. We had signed superstars. Risking their risking. rep. I was just gonna say that. That's a risk. To yeah, there. going up there off the top because they knew if they had spit a word that we knew was written because we were super fans too. So even if you just dropped something that you didn't drop in your album yet, but you said it on on uh, uh, Cool and Bob. Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, Bob, uh, whatever Bob, Stretch and Bob uh, last week. We were gonna call it on you. Oh, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So and then, you, then they lose your respect. That's right. It was, a, it was it was a different era. So. I don't know. It was a different game. You had to be able to do it. So, so, so after college, you hit that you know full bore, and you mm-hmm. start going after that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, yeah, not after college. I let. Well, <laughs> I, I stopped after, college. After you stopped college to pursue <laughs> yeah. that. So, yeah. Yep. So then, things got pretty serious. You were more than just like a local West Haven rapper. Or yeah. Like that. You've been on tours and, and whatnot. Yeah. So why don't you tell me about that? I want to hear about the, you know. The accomplishments of it first, but then I also want to hear about the things you went through on the negative aspect of it, because that huh. uh, people don't talk about how shady that industry. Can oh be yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the shit people go through behind the scenes, especially you know? when I was trying to go through it as a young, young guy, early twenties. This was in the mid nineties, um, and you had to have a deal in order to be seen. There was no internet, there was no YouTube, there was no going independent. Yeah. Um, none of that at all. You had to be seen. You had to go out and do shows. Um, you had to put tapes. Oh, everything. You had to be out there yeah, handing yeah, things out like all the like time. Like, it was a full time job because all day you're out there handing stuff out. All night you're making music. Um, but yeah, you're hoping that they're listening while you're making Dude. new music. You're hoping that they're listening to the old shit that you were handing out. And the, and and ninety nine point nine percent of them were using them as frisbees. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Of of course. Weed plates. Um, yeah, exactly. They're breaking up their weed on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel as though there was an opportunity for me in Connecticut. And it's not like it was today because, like I said, you can reach anybody from anywhere as long as you're, you know, as long as you got the right equipment to sound good and you're on SoundCloud, then you're fine. But back then, you had to get out there. And I felt being from Connecticut, I was. Um, I was always listening to New York rappers, 
New Jersey rappers. I idol my favorite rapper from back then, from the early '90s, was Tame One from the Artifacts. Um, I I I loved his style. I loved the way he rocked. I loved the way the Artifacts rocked. I loved the New York style of hip hop. I felt like Connecticut didn't really have anybody that was doing anything that was pushing the culture. I felt like New York and Jersey was really pushing the culture. Really, and, still really and Philly as well, too, was pushing the culture at that time. And I felt like Connecticut is trapped between Boston and New York style. Mm-hmm. You know, you're either going to be one of them cats that rap, that rocks like you're from Beantown, yeah. or you're going to be a cat like, you, like you're from New York. But, I mean, what's yeah, Connecticut? Yeah. You know, what's really Connecticut? And at that point, being that young and being at that time, I did honestly. I just didn't have the, I didn't have the pull. I didn't have the the uh, you know the social media push. I didn't, you know we didn't have any of that. I didn't have the uh, push yeah. to, and, and also I didn't have the confidence. I didn't think that I can start a movement around here. Here I am, just some young skinny white kid that just wants to rap. And it so, was still just the Beastie Boys. That, that that's it. I mean, and then you know what killed us was. Vanilla Ice was Vanilla next, Ice, and then he MC, really murdered yeah. us, you know? Yeah, well, thir- you know what, though? Third base, I got to give them props, though, because a lot of people couple them in with Vanilla Ice. They made a Vanilla Ice disc record. They also put KMD on their record, R.I.P. M.F. Doom. They were the first person to put Nas and Doom and, and his, his brother Sub Rock on their record. So, um, you know, I'd like to separate third base from the Vanilla Ice yeah, story. Yeah. But Vanilla but, Ice is when it came Vanilla Ice is when, when, when we... the white rappers were oh, a gimmick. Exactly. They needed a gimmick together. Oh, and it was awful. And, and it's still, in, in a way, now it's, it's getting better, but let's say the early 2000s and 2010 even, mm. when I was trying to do it, mm. you still needed a gimmick, like the Macklemore with the, yeah. the thrift shop clothes and the yeah. crazy shit. Right? And he stole a Grammy from, uh, from Kendrick just because of that, Yeah, which you was ridiculous. I mean? So, so you know? it was still a time where, in, in that time even surpassed past you where yeah. where white rappers needed a gimmick yeah almost needed to be uh theatrical and yep. dramatic rather than go off of their talent you correct I mean? yeah eminem was the first one even though eminem was kind of gimmicky too mm-hmm. in his own sense he was the first one that was accepted as like a okay this guy yeah this guy's a rapper well definitely i mean Remember, uh, uh, Vanilla Ice came out, said he was from the streets of Miami. Finds out, finds out he's from the uh, suburbs of Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, M really was from Eight Mile. Yeah. I mean, M really, M really was in those battles. I mean, I, I opened up for M in '97 in, 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 in Detroit before he met Dre, telling me, uh, you know, I got a baby on the way. This shit sucks. I ain't making any money. I'm about to quit. Um, stuff like that, you yeah. know. Um, and he was slim at the time. Oh, right? dude, yeah, he was a little. He wasn't even Eminem. No, he was slim yeah. shady. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I said, I, a few times where I was just lucky enough to just be an opener to, with him. But um, getting back to what, what were we talking about before? I forget. Well, you were just talking um, about you know, so you were leaving Connecticut because you yeah, yeah, see yeah, the yeah. Opportunity here. Yeah, no I always you know? and all my favorite rappers from New York. All the favorite sound that I wanted was from New York. And the final straw was when. I first went to college, and I made best friends with this kid uh, who ended up being my partner for about 20 years. But back then, we just connected, and we would at, we'd be at school. We'd both be not doing our work. We'd both be just sitting there just writing raps and like, uh, hit, like playing bongos and freestyling, just doing everything we can just to rap. So I was practicing with this dude every day. He ends up being from Jersey. So when I got kicked out of school, he got kicked out of school. Um, I ended up moving to uh, Detroit. He goes back home. We kept in close touch. He even visited me when I was out there. 
I was out in Detroit for about a year and a half. I was in a different band. Um, and then I came back home and I joined another band, which was called the Dusted Dons. And that's um, the group that was with myself, the gentleman I just talked to you about that I knew for 20 years. And then we formed with other live instrumentation. So we had a live hip-hop band in New York City and in Philadelphia. Two rappers. Um, yeah, two band. rappers. We had a, a, a singer. Um, her name was uh, Raw, Rachel Ann Webster. She um, went to University of Michigan with Jewel, sang with Jewel. Uh, drummer named uh, Wilbur Mackey. The dude was a, uh, I mean, still is just a master drummer. You know, he's um, uh, trained at the Berklee School of Music in in, in um, Boston. Um, trained by the best and has played with the best. The guys played on tour with Bernie Worrell in the Woo Warriors. Bernie Worrell was the uh, keyboardist for George Clinton P Funk. Oh, wow. um, I mean, we're talking tops of the top. Yeah, yeah. So here I am thinking I'm an imposter. Like, I talk my way into this group, and yeah, I'm with yeah, all these crazy musicians. Yeah. And uh, I had a lot of fun, man, and it was great. It was it was, it was, was awesome for a while. But, um, you know, bands like a marriage. Sometimes the marriage goes bad. Yeah. We had a lot of, like, contracts in front of us where I felt like we should have just got screwed over and signed them, and we didn't. Um, we had this one well, guy. You've said this before to me in person. Yeah. We're talking, but. You feel like every artist should get screwed over every, at least once. Every single If I was given any young kid that's listening to this right now, and I know it's different now because you can really just go independent, and if you pop, you pop. But if, but if you get, get an deal. opportunity, like a deal with a big major, let's say, uh, you know, uh, Young Money, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Bird wants to offer you some, sh- uh, some awful deal, awful deal, six-album deal where he can shelf you if he wants to, you know. A uh, little bit of money up front, but you know that you're at least going to get a video out of it and a single out of it. Do it. Take it. Do it. You know why? Thirty. This is he, the guy that told us one to thirty percent, and I told my band thirty percent of nothing is nothing. Yeah. Why are we fighting over thirty percent? You know, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. get screwed. Yeah. Let's get famous off them. Let's have them take all of our money from that first album. We don't care. We're broke anyways. Yeah. Now we're famous. We got our foot in the door. Beasties did it. Go you know what I mean? Beasties yeah. did it. Second so album was Paul Boutique. Now they're famous. Yeah. A lot of people do it. We never did it. I had an album with Wyclef sitting on the table in 1998. Uh, this was like after they, Fuji's went crazy. And uh, it was like a six album deal. And it looked like they were going to shelf us. And it looked like all of that. Yeah. And I'm like pushing to sign it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, my yeah. guys are like on some like, no, we can do it ourselves. And I'm just like, bro, I'm sick of this, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to get fucked over so I can start my career, bro. Come on. <laughs> So yeah, there was a there's a few times, two or three times. I mean that you know, that I should have, we should have done it. We should have just got screwed over like by everybody else. But, but hey. now, now you were on tour with some some big names. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hung- who, who did you guys go on tour with? Uh, two thousand for more, hunger for more tour with um, you know uh, Lloyd Banks, Fifty Cent, Little Scrappy, Fat Joe, um, Executioners were there. Uh, you're just gonna have to look it up and see. There's a lot of other artists that were there. It's just one of those big ones. Um, just by opening up for Cage, uh, Cage was the uh, rapper from like uh, Def Jux. He was big in the '90s, big in the early 2000s, 2010s. He's still making music. He just was that was his like real big heyday. He was the guy who was this, you know, um, had some diss tracks with Eminem back and forth, um, and he had a good little run. His during his best run, I believe, his Hell's Winter days. That's when we were running with him. And uh, there were some great tours that we were able to be on. He gave us some amazing opportunities just being able to be an opener for him. I'll always be grateful for him for that. 
Um, we opened up for Aesop Rock, who I just kind of put Bobby onto recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dude is just if you're into if you're into some some lyricism that you've never heard explained the way it is before, and I'm not gonna argue with you about lyricism and metaphors and who's got the best delivery because believe me if you haven't heard this guy before you really there's just you really don't even it's 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 not apples and oranges it's like apples and like you know pineapple trees (laughs) you know it's just it's a completely different argument anyways give him a listen aesop rock he in my opinion he's he's probably the best underground rapper who's who's ever lived at this point he's been in the game for 20 years he's just Unbelievable, and and even a, a huge like cold. Oh God, the guy still makes tons and tons of money, and if you listen to nothing but mainstream rap, you've probably never heard him before, and you're doing yourself a disservice. But um, I probably toured two or three albums with him. Um, I was lucky enough to tour uh, with um, uh, Tail, um and Sa Smash, R.I.P. Kamutail, one of the greatest underground um, album artists that I've ever met. He died young um, in 2008 from lung cancer, but he was um, the last project he ever did was on my uh, rap record with my group called Slow Suicide Stimulus. But other than that, we were able to play a lot of like, for instance, those people that I just mentioned, we were able to do a bunch of shows uh, shows with them. Um, LP as well. um, LP from Run the Jewels um, went on like maybe two or three tours with him and just met everybody, met everybody through them. Uh, played the uh, Scribble Jam 2007. I was playing the Pitchfork Festival. Um, you know, a lot of festivals and a lot of things because my, our main acts would get would get booked, and we would be their openers. So we, you know, the local so would go. Yeah, yeah, we would go, and then the, yes, yeah, so it was great, man. It almost felt like we were just doing it too. You, you know, we yeah, were, we, we were definitely great. there. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Did that for a lot, a lot of years. You know, um, how, how did that? how did that come to an end like where when did you realize i mean technically it's not an end at any point you could get back into i mean yes but but i mean like when when you fell back from it and it was like all right back to life like back to the reality of life like go get a job or whatever go yeah 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 like like it's not like i'm not gonna end up the superstar i wanted to be exactly but how did how did you come to terms with that was there a, a certain thing that happened where you were like Damn, this is it. Like, yeah, my yeah. Chance came and went. Yes, yes. Um, uh, my nephew was born. I was when I was twenty three. Now at that point, I knew that the, that the clock was ticking as far as me wanting to get back home. I knew when he was a very little baby, he wouldn't know the difference. But by the time he was turning like four, I had this like uh, just inclination of like, oh god, man, I, I got to get back there. So I tried to. You know, put it in over here in my career, thinking if I could really try to just make this happen. Um, I mean, really, you know, you can't force it. So, I mean, like we we tried and we did. It was at one point where I think I had turned 31 years old at this point. I'd been doing it since 19, and uh, we had now turned down probably four different, four or five different contracts that I was just like, oh my god. Uh, I was upset about it, you know. Yeah. Um, we signed ourselves. We were not doing well because we just didn't. We mismanaged money. Mm-hmm. Um, we were idiots, like you know. Kids do. Yeah, you know. yeah. And I was just in a position where I'm, I'm getting older. Here I am. I'm 31, 32 years old. Um, what am I? What other life skills do I have besides, uh, you know, rapping a verse on stage, 
driving a van, selling some merch, and uh, smoking some pot. I, I don't know, you know. So like, um, I made a decision that I got to start real life. Otherwise, I don't want to be that dude that's like, you know, in his fifties, still hanging on. To yeah, that. asking around if somebody needs a rapper at their wedding. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that was my worst nightmare. You know, yeah, like doing the hip hop hippie shit. You know, and I'm like. 60 years old so i came home for two reasons number one i stopped believing in the dream <laughs> and um also uh jay my nephew was getting older and um i couldn't miss out on him and that gotcha. was it yeah so um so we've talked you know about mental health stuff on yeah, a personal level totally that. but um you know what is that when you'd say your your biggest um battles with that kind of stuff came or is this something that you kind of struggled with since a kid i think metal i think mental health started before i even knew it started there was things there was things i couldn't understand i was in um school let's see first time i felt like uh that i cried but didn't know why you know what i mean uh felt nervous in my heart palpitating face getting red sweaty uh, upset to the point where there's tears coming down my eyes, but really, yeah, I no didn't have a, as to why it was no happening. thought in my head. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There wasn't a trigger. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. That started happening probably around like maybe uh, eighth or ninth grade, something yeah. like that. Not a lot. It yeah. would just every once in a while be weird. Yeah. Um, I would go off and be like, why am I crying? You know, I would think I was weird by doing it. I, um, I started doing a little bit more and more in 10th grade, and I changed schools at this point, you know. Yeah. Then I thought that maybe it was because I was, like, upset about the school I was in. But, I mean, still, I mean, I was always controlling myself. It wasn't like it wasn't like I was having these, like, bad thoughts and then, like, be a kid that would just start crying. Um, it just was, like, coming over me. It was just this morose feeling coming over me. So I remember uh, I had a real, like, experience where I was just, like, walking down the hallway, started feeling just like, oh, my God, dude, I'm about to, like, get, I'm, I'm really upset. What am I upset about? I don't even know. Yeah, and I didn't want to. So I ran. I ran into, like, wherever I did. I just ran away and just ran to, like, a private place and just started crying. Teacher found me, um, was like, what's wrong? Couldn't understand it. Um, and, you know, then it all started coming out because at that point in my life is when my sister, who is, uh, who is a year and a half older than me, um, she was acting up hard. And so that's subliminally, that's, I think that's where it was coming yeah, from. Yeah. All right. I put everything away. You know what I mean? I repressed everything, which is the worst thing you could oh, ever absolutely. do. Absolutely. Uh, but back then we're talking eighties and nineties. I mean, the drugs that they were, that they were giving out for things like that were just ridiculous. The first time they tried to put me on that, that first Ritalin. Oh my God. Man. Oh my God. I felt, I, I was sitting on my couch and I felt like I was on the end of a seesaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going up and down. I told my mom. She was like, "Okay, okay, honey, you don't take it again." You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just felt like um, I felt like back then, a lot still, just like today, a lot of it's experimental. And how can you read somebody's mind? How could you tell exactly what they're feeling? Um, and especially in the '80s and '90s or whatever, yeah, or even and today, mental health wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. Yeah, but it's um, not even a big thing now. It's still not. It's still not. It's not enough. Which is why I want to do this podcast. Yeah, to talk about this stuff and bring it more to light, especially for men. Um, you know, men are expected to be harder and tougher all yeah. the time. You yep. know what I mean? But um, you know, even now, seeing so many people deal with it and talk about it, and it's still not. It's still like stigmatized i guess you know what i mean like 
Yeah. There's a stigma around it, and and um, I don't think. I mean, I can only imagine in the '90s it was less and less. You know what I mean? Like no one talked about it. No. There wasn't going to therapy. There no. Was none of that stuff. No, you weren't tough. Yeah, yeah. If you if you ever admitted to somebody that you were, uh, you know, you're depressed, you're having, uh, you know, you're having bad thoughts. I mean. They would have told you suck it up. I mean, if yeah, it was yeah. a coach, he would have told you get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really it. As a teacher, you might have been sent to a, a infirmary where they might have like took your temperature and took your <laughs> blood pressure and yeah, then told yeah, you yeah. if you want to go home, you can. Yeah. Um, you really would have had to really, really like reach out to your parents. Whereas back then, kids, like you said, there's there's this stigma about it that makes kids scared. You think you're crazy. You think you're different. You're think, think you're weird. yeah, you're scared it's that you're crazy. It's so why would you? Even tell your yeah, and what if, just what if you did tell them, right? And their answer is, okay, well, we're going to send you to a doctor. Doctors were scary back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sure. weren't taught that they can help. Well, especially because know? since so, so, there was so little talked about, the only people we saw get shipped off were like the crazy kids. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The kids that would have complete wig outs and, and yeah. lose their mind. Correct. So you didn't want to be like, you're not like, I'm not like that kid. Correct. And so, if you got lumped into that exactly. crew, then you got labeled. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Gary Falcone anymore. It was, uh, oh, it's that bipolar dude, Gary yeah, Falcone. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, dude, I, I uh, it was tough for me because I think that I was walking a parallel line uh, with my sister, I think that she was more severe than than my case. But yeah, I think I definitely suf- suffered from mental illness, from depression, uh, definitely anxiety disorder, um, a little bit of OCD mixed in. I mean, I just know this from being 46 years old at this point and just living inside this brain every day and trying to, you know, figure things out. Um, and educating yourself. Yeah. Because I know you're a big... On you know you're always reading some new shit. Yeah. Blogs, staying up on the media. Yes. You know you're big on all that. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm that, big in the holistic. I'm big in the holistic um, like treatments. Now I'm not going to be the guy that's going to tell you to, you know, burn uh, you know oils around your head and stuff. Whatever. Yeah. Look, no disrespect to them, but I mean that's their thing. My deal is I'm looking for plant based medications that are going to uh, substitute um, a medication that is synthesized. Uh, directly in a laboratory like without a any correct like yeah like for instance um i've been a big proponent of kratom um, k-r-a-t-o-m um, i use it on a very small level on a daily basis maybe one to two grams in the morning it's in the coffee family so i don't drink a lot of coffee um, i have recently only because i'm old and i'm tired as hell but i'll drink a coffee in the morning but I'll usually mix up like a two gram thing of this uh, of this kratom. Like I said, it's it's a it's a coffee based supplement, um, and it gives me an energy boost. It gives me what an antidepressant might give me. But guess what? It's a plant based medication. It's not synthesized in a laboratory. It's not it's not an FDA approved medication. I mean, yeah, yeah. when I hear FDA approved, I hear oh, so you're my new drug dealer. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the government. Yeah, yeah. So just like the whole methodology. Yeah, totally. So I I try to, I try to, I try to medicate myself when I need medication, rather than stay medicated and not even know what a real low is or a real high is. I wouldn't want to be a robot that never cries, and I wouldn't want to be a robot that never smiles. Um, As of recently, with with the loss that I've had. I've cried multiple times a day. You know what I mean, and and you know what? It's done me good. It's yeah. it's it's it, it, it's exercise in this for me. 
if I had just maybe taken some medication that turned off my feelings, who knows, man? I mean, they might be a year from now, and I might just have a complete mental yeah, breakdown. Exactly. No, it's important. You know? It's definitely important. Man. You said it at the beginning, you know, repressing things is the worst oh, thing you could do. It's a time bomb. And, and medication can do the repressing for you, and you yeah. don't even know it. Yeah. And then the second you decide you don't want to take that medication anymore, you might wake the fuck up. There's no biological free lunch, bro. There's yeah, always yeah. a snapback. So yeah. the more you hold it off, the bigger the exposure is going to be. Absolutely. You know, you, for one, have found the secret, and you showed me the secret when I was finally able to accept it. Like, when I was finally able to acknowledge it, which is exercise. Yeah. Um, the only natural thing, like, I talk about that plant-based stuff or whatever. If I, do, if I use cannab cannabinoids or whatever, mm -hmm. that's all plant-based. That's fine. But if you want to talk about pure, natural, without any other substance, a natural way to fight your depression, anxiety or whatever you have, the only way that I've found is exertion to exhaustion. Uh, put yourself through a, a hard workout. Mm -hmm. um, Those endorphins are yeah, crazy. Yeah, push yourself those. beyond where you think your your end point is. And, you know, I'm talking like I'm Mr., you know, like I'm, I'm Mr. Lou Ferrigno over here, bro. <laughs> I'm trying to quit during our workouts five times, but, you know, you push me through no, and I get absolutely. through – and at the end, I'm like, yo, I f that's good. And I know, and that, you know, I've been going with you for a while now. So now, like, when I come in there, I'm like, I know that that's my chance to get all this out. Exactly. And, and so and, I treat it like I, that now. I, that's what I tell clients and, and people that I, I get to on a personal level that we talk. And um, I tell them, like, you, when they struggle with these things, like, this is why you got to look forward to getting to the gym. Yeah. People that struggle getting there. I always say, you know, remember how good you felt after. Yeah. That yeah. how you feel after. You have to chase that. I know. Because, you know, it's still, it, you know, people think I'm some, like, machine, too. Because yeah. they see me in there every day, this and that. Yeah. But it's hard for me to get to there every fucking day. You yeah. You know what I mean? But it's the high from after the gym. Mm. Or what I know it's done for me so far in the last mm. five or six years I've been doing it now. Yeah. I tell people it saved my life. And they think, I mean, in a... A physical health way like i was morbidly obese and now i'm in shape but no it saved me mentally because the less dark the more i worked out the less dark thoughts i was having yeah the more i worked out the better i was sleeping yeah the more i worked out the better my relationships got yeah the more social i became you yeah know what i mean yeah and, and um you know the less the less you're out of your own head the, the less you're out of your own insecurities well, that's where you, you know it all in there. You, your your brain starts feeling better you start feeling healthy you look in the mirror you're, you're losing fat you're gaining muscle it's yeah. like look that may seem shallow to people it's but let me good. tell you it's not man no that look good it's feel not good is, it's, it's a real, real thing, you know it's a I mean? real thing Think about even going back to playing sports what was the, the best feeling is getting that new jersey yeah you get that new jersey and crispy jersey on, you're gonna play you're yeah play yeah oh shit notre dame just gave me this fresh new jersey yeah I'm, imagine I'm you know I mean? remember when, when you got like when you showed up at the game you didn't our, our coaches would do this they wouldn't tell us we had them yeah, until yeah, like yeah. pre-game and then like, they like, go in the box yeah, yeah. and we got them. We, we don't we would just be out in the field you yeah, just yeah. In, our, in our stirrups and underwears putting them all on we didn't care <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah definitely right now, that's, that's that's that look good feel good yeah you know I mean? same thing um it's I, I don't think it's a shallow thing because i know many people that are very insecure with their weight or the way they look and um you know what how come it's only shallow of us if we care about it when it's a good thing 
Yeah. But when people care about it, when it's affecting them negatively, it's not because they don't consider it shallow. They consider it it's a, being depressed. It's a traumatic thing. Yeah, Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so why can't, just like these people don't want to be fat, why yeah. can't we want to be I hear you. fit? You totally. know what I'm saying? Like, why are we shallow for, for wanting no, I feel you. It, it's it's a double standard. It's yeah. a double standard. But but I just think that I, people like me, I'm here. I am. I'm I'm middle aged. I've been an athlete. Well, I consider myself an athlete. High school, mm-hmm. a little bit of college. I mean, I didn't play professional. I mean, uh, competitive athletics. I mean, really, uh, all the way up until now that I just started working out recently. Like in my 40s, I did a little bit of CrossFit and here and there. I just never stuck with anything except for when I. Uh, signed up with you like you know this past year is the only thing I've really been consistent and stuck with so like a lot of people just don't even think they have it in them yeah. they, they, they stop they stop believing in themselves mm-hmm. they'll like I'm I'm in I'm the king of making plans at night mm-hmm. and I got a million plans for the next day at night and then my alarm goes off in the morning and then I start making excuses oh yeah 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 and I know that I'm not the only one oh no I'm bad so like too. I'm yeah big procrastinator. oh yeah so you just got to get past that, like, it's a 20-minute, 20, 20 to 30-minute block of when you open your eyes and you're in your bed and you start thinking of what text you can do to maybe get out of work or your workout or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's got it, right? Oh, for sure. If you could just blast, like, you know, get out of bed, just get the hell out of there, um, then you'll make it. You know what I mean? Oh, get yourself sure. in the shower or something. Like, just just do it. for everything. Yeah. You, you, you know, you got an errand you need to run or a fucking task you gotta do or you gotta go to court or whatever you're yeah. but then you go there and you get it done and you're like alright that wasn't bad at all right why did I dread that for a week I you know, know what I'm saying even it before the sense. gym 20-30 minutes you're like fuck do I go today do I wanna do this but then you're there and you're like why, why was I stressing this, this right is, this is the best shit I've done all after day. the first you're rep you're yeah, like yeah. I want this right yeah, and so then afterwards you feel the post-workout feeling right yeah, yeah. alright so this, this, is, this is this is this is the new fit and shit brand do you guys have a pre-workout mix? Do I? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You need a post-workout mix that makes you feel like when you drink it before your workout, right? <laughs> so like you but drink the post-workout and it makes you feel like you've or like like the endorphins and everything, yeah, yeah. like you've already worked out. You're like, ah, and it gets you in a great mood. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then you go work out. So your pre-workout is really your yeah yeah your, your pre-workout so it gives, you gives you the feeling like you've already worked out so you're happy and then you go to the gym and then you happy. go to the gym all happy <laughs> and work out. Well, ain't that weed? Hey, I I guess so, <laughs> but we need to partner with somebody. Yeah. You know, it seems like a good idea. That would work. <laughs> it would work out. <laughs> so, so now. Um, so we're here, you're talking about, you know, how you signed up here. And yeah. You're, now you're finding that love for it, too. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the biggest win for me with, with what I do is when other people come back and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this for three years now, four years now. Mm-hmm. Or I see them making a fit Instagram page or mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like it was someone that started with me and didn't think they could do it. Yeah. And now they're, they love it just as much as I do. You know? Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. And that's a win. But, um, yeah, it's, so, it's changed it seriously has changed my life. The shutdown made me depressed. I'm I'm susceptible um, to depression, and especially when I'm not moving, when I'm not when my schedule isn't filled. Yeah. I almost I'll do I'll do more for other people than I will for myself. Oh, for so sure. if I have a day off and I got five things to do, I'm doing zero of those five things. Mm-hmm. If I have a day where I need to go work and then I need to go meet somebody to go you know work out or and then I need to go like. I'll I'll complete all of those things. 
And I think that's that's part of an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Because I have the same issue where, you know, if I have too much free time, that's when I go crazy. That's when I'm depressed. That's mm-hmm. when I get lazy. That's when I procrastinate. If I have no clients today, that'd be the ideal day to go get some errands done and go to the gym. But that's the day I end up fucking skipping the gym. Yeah. And I sit on the couch yeah. in my fucking head. Yeah. But when you're going, it's, it's just a busy thing. You just got to keep your mind busy. I know. If your mind's busy enough on the tasks at hand, it doesn't think about all the crazy shit we put ourselves through in our head about not being good enough at this or yeah. not being where you want to be or... Looking yeah. on social media, not you making see a, enough your money. Your boy you grew up with, and he's making two hundred k yeah. a year, got a nice house. Yeah, and you're like living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, you know how what I effed mean? up is that, man? It's a, it's how effed up is this society that we're living in right now? Oh, I know. It hasn't always been like this. And, well, social media. I think the internet and social media is making it the worst possible place. The human being, I don't care what you say, and I don't know where we came from, and I'm about to go Eddie Bravo on you, but uh, the human being was not. Born and bred. I like I like the born and bred. We've been using that yeah, like since that West Haven. The human being was not created, born, whatever your religious, religious is. We're not here to work three quarters of our lives. We're, we're just not. I mean, first of all, you're going to sleep four, if you're a nutcase, to eight hours uh, a, a day, right? So that's going to be almost to a, one third of a day you're sleeping your whole life, right? Now, if you work a full-time job, you're working on average five days a week, 40 hours a week, okay? Yeah, then two you have thirds a, of your day that's two thirds of your day already gone. And then what are you going to do with the remaining, let's say, you know, any, anywhere, depending on your, your work schedule, anywhere from five to eight hours left that you have? What are you going to do? You know, uh, eight hours would be crazy. You really don't even really no, have that. No, I mean, no, especially no. if you're working out and things like that. So yeah, let's yeah. say by the time you get home, you're done with your workout, you're done with whatever of your extracurricular, your kids got some practice, whatever, you eat some dinner. You might have two hours left in the entire night. That's that's your life. You're supposed to like. Are we're supposed to be here? We're supposed to be here for two free hours every day. Yeah. That's what our existence is supposed like to be. Slavery, almost. You know it's not mean? supposed to be like that, no. man. It's that's not supposed to be like that. Crazy. Yeah. That's why people are going crazier by the I know. day. I know. And then, like I said, the social media makes it worse. I know. The politics. The, the, I know. <laughs> And so this closed down made me made me crazy because I was I was unable to fill up my work my schedule with my work day, right? Mm-hmm. Also with and other places social. I need to go. Yep. And be social. Takes yeah. the human touch away out of things. Um and so here I am. I'm up till six. I'm a, I mean my I turned into a teenager again. Um I was up until the sun was up. I would go to sleep until two PM. I mean there was no reason for me to do anything. I was waking up. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, maybe get down and do ten push-ups, get tired, go back on my, on my couch, start yeah. playing a phone game, uh, work, you know, watch whatever came out on the. I mean, it was just a, a an existence of just consumption of garbage, mm-hmm. food and intellectual garbage, yeah. and it just sucked. Um, I'm seeing these other guys that are motivated and doing stuff, and they're creating content, and like the rich got richer during this thing. Like, oh, for sure. dude, the, the the richest guys like made eleven trillion dollars or something like this during this, while yeah, we all yeah, got yeah. poorer. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, maybe I didn't have a chance to make a trillion, but you know what? I probably had a good chance to start this. What we're doing, yeah, yeah. I probably had a good chance to do it, even if we weren't able to get together. Yeah. Maybe I could have started by myself, but. I think it all, going back to how we started this podcast, it all goes back to mental health. I don't think this country has a gun problem. I don't think this country has a crime problem. I don't think this country has a race problem. 
I mean, what my point being is, I think it has all of those problems, okay? But all of these problems are under are the mental health tree. Umbrella, yep. They're all branches of the mental health tree. Yep. If you start with mental health, then you can, you can, I think, you can attack most of these problems. There's going to be no, there's going to be no utopian place where there's where racism is where racism is eradicated, where um, you know crime, crime is eradicated, or, you know whatever it is. But let me tell you, if we gave as much money to our social workers and our mental health workers and our mental health system, where they don't have outdated machines, uh, technologies, um, you know, doctors that don't really care and are just um, prescribing, yeah, kickbacks. You know what I mean? Prescribing medication for kickbacks. If we were to revamp that whole thing and start with mental health, especially as kids, there's no way that all of these other things that we were talking about won't decrease in nature oh, in our in our oh, in our country. And I mean, I really hope we get there. I mean, we have to evolve. We can't stay as red versus blue, Yankees versus Red Sox, uh, Republican versus Democrats. I mean, this is just basically the way they've been dividing us up. They, you know, the the, the proverbial they, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lizard people, whoever you want to talk about that. <laughs> But uh, this is how the powers that be, let's just say, you know, yep. any government in the world wants its people divided so they're not able to unite and then gain the power that they already have. Collective mm -hmm. consciousness has more power than any weapon on this world. Mm -hmm. So if we're able to all get together and have one team instead of breaking us up into subcultures and, sub and sub teams. Yes, it's a utopian thought, but I mean, it's difficult to see right now, man. I think we're real. It's we're at the bottom it's right crazy, now. Crazy, like you said, though, to think that by doing these things, these these issues wouldn't decrease. There's no way they would increase, or be, or maintain where they're at now. You know what I mean? Look at, without a doubt. I, I mean, I know, I know, mental health suicide rates were skyrocketing during oh. during these shutdowns. Definitely, I don't, I don't know. Drug usage? Crime, crime as a whole, I don't know where it went. I know crime, the public, the riots, that shit was out of armed ro Armed robberies went, went up. Now, I, I can't quote the exact well, are, statistic, yeah, but come on. Desperate, you know, Bro, well, not, not only a desperate, but we talked about this the other day. You're, you're, people feel safer when you walk into a place with a covering around your, your a hat on with a mask on your face yeah. like you know yeah. like I told you I walked yeah into you're like dude with a they felt more comfy and a hoodie with me looking like I wanted to rob see, the joint yeah you can see my eyes and eyebrows <laughs> and that's it that's it so there has to be some statistic of armed rob robberies on the rise because if you're somebody that's just going to do one anyways then why the hell would you not do one yeah, when it's accepted for you this to be like in your mask you yeah, know what yeah, I'm saying yeah. Two years um, ago, if you saw someone walking across, oh, there's God. a mask on your, your head. Yeah, of course, of course. So, um, you know, who knows where this is going to go. I'm hoping that with the change of administration, I do not want to get political on this. I am a staunch independent. Um, I don't even want to talk about it, <laughs> honestly. It well, doesn't. We, it, we are going to get into, not on this one, but yeah. we're going to have multiple parts to this. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, start yeah. our own little spinoff. I'm sure, of but, course. But, um. But on this one right here, I am a registered independent. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, in my lifetime, I think I've probably voted on both sides. But I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I was old enough. Uh, you know what? Doesn't matter. All I'm saying is, if you're waiting for a puppet in Washington to be uh, nominated so that he can serve for four years and that's going to save your life, there's other things in your life you need to work out first. 
that's it's as simple as that and 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 that goes um something i was talking about with someone else at the gym recently um you see all these people on social media blasting all these thoughts and these extreme statuses and deleting people that they've known for years because their ideas or or beliefs might be the opposite but how many people do you see not just about politics but social media in general going on there and complaining about things but not doing a fucking thing to change it. Of course not. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're, they're up there to complain about uh, the baseball fields at Morris Park. Mm-hmm. Or they're complaining about this, but nobody gets out there and tries to change it. No. They just bitch. But they'll get back on their page and they'll write a whole oh, yeah, paragraph. They'll bitch and they'll oh, bitch yeah. and they'll, bitch and they'll, send, they'll, and they'll, they'll edit write a novel on Facebook. Proofread it and they'll get a spell yeah. checked and everything. And then there'll be 450 fucking comments of oh, people yeah. agreeing or fighting against it, yeah. but not one person's hitting the streets no. and making something happen. No. And that goes the same, and that's like a metaphor, same thing with... with what we were talking about with fitness yeah. or getting healthier. You yeah. know what I mean? True. You can just bitch and bitch and make excuses and stuff, but nobody gets out there and puts anything into fucking action. Yeah. You know what I mean? People I, say that, that our, not just our town, but I'm sure towns, all, you know, more um, diverse towns all over the world, people complain about the crime or complain about mm-hmm. uh, cleanups, garbage, graffiti, mm-hmm. whatever, but nobody's out there trying to paint the fucking walls yeah. and just fix it. Yeah. They just want to go on Facebook and bitch. They want to bitch about you know it. Know yeah. I mean? And that's what's yep. made social media the hardest place to be now. Yeah, I, I, and, now I, and people talk shit to me about being positive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how can you be positive? Yeah, pe- this? People come at me like, oh, look at you, Mr. Positive, posting that, <laughs> posting that corny shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, oh, you all happy and shit, yeah. huh? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you for being happy. But like, what you doing being happy over here, cuz? Yeah. But it's like... <laughs> Now I'm an anomaly because I'm trying to tell people to better themselves <laughs> instead of, instead of getting online. You're and a prodigal people, son. <laughs> instead of getting online <laughs> and telling people let's fight because fucking Honestly, Biden. Honestly, yeah, I mean? seriously, you should, we should just be setting up keg parties where we invite other towns and we just put like fake cardboard cutouts of chicks like we used to back in the day next to the keg. They show up, we just jump out of the bushes, beat everybody's ass, and let's just bring it back to the eighties. Fuck it, let's you know what I mean? It. Might as well. <laughs> so let's see so we touched on hold on well, we got other stuff to talk about let me see we were, we were get, I was getting to something oh it was actually still important before we get all, all stupid um, uh, oh yeah alright we were talking about how we might not even have talking about this but it was talking about how people are like, you know uh, were we talking about people scared of getting sick and all that no no we weren't? No. Okay, I was talking about that in my head with my imaginary friend. Well, because we were talking about the shutdown. Oh, okay, so, the shutdown. So okay, all right. Let's get back into that. All right, so a lot of people would be quick to say, well, hey, if you weren't obese, then you wouldn't be in trouble, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or if you didn't have diabetes, or if you didn't already have a pulmonary whatever failure, or, yeah. or whatever the case may be, yeah, right? You didn't smoke cigarettes. Yeah, if, if you already didn't have, if you already weren't pu- weren't putting yourself in a bad situation with like you know uh, your weight or the food you eat and all that. Well, if you really want to break it down, whose fault really is that in the beginning? Now everybody is in charge of their own decisions, but when your decisions are Wendy's or McDonald's 
or Burger King, right? Let's say you don't have the money to go to whatever. Let's say you don't even have the education to know that you can go to a, a supermarket and buy a bag of lettuce with some like you know meats and stuff like that for less than you could buy a Happy Meal for. Let's oh, yeah. just say you were brought up the wrong way, yeah. and, and people don't even realize, and right? Or uneducated on what's even healthy. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? People exactly. Don't know what's he- half the people I talk to don't know the difference between healthy food and what's not. Healthy. Exactly. So now you're growing up, and you're, you're or or how about you're not even old enough to make your own food decisions? Okay. So now your mother's just literally every day is just like, hey, McDonald's drive through whatever the yeah, hell you basketball want. Basketball practice is over. Go get yeah. some nuggets. And whatever food. you want to eat. So here, here's a, here's a three liter of friggin' uh, <laughs> what does ICP use? Fago. Fago. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sugar and shit ever. But I'm saying like, okay, what do you say to those people? It's their fault? Yeah. Right? I don't think it's their fault. No. What do you say to the doctors? Um, let's say doctors that have been prescribing medications, right? How about all the medications where it's a 15 second commercial for a minute spot and 45 seconds of that minute is... Side effects. Might cause suicide if it's yeah. taken with with alcohol. Uh, don't take this after Christmas if you're angry with somebody because you might actually stab them in the neck. You know, <laughs> you know all this like <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. these little like, things like you know, if mixed with this, you know, like so and you're just like, what like, is going on? Like you know, the things that that are being put into the earth or into our universe, into as our, the community, in our community, yeah. and now they're blaming our community yeah. for not being healthy enough to handle a virus that who knows, you know. Yeah. What we're dealing with. Well, like you said about the fast food and stuff, I, I saw a meme that said, like, here's a problem with our country. You go to a Whole Foods and get a salad for $12, or you could get a double cheeseburger and a fry for $2. You know what I mean? It should, when really, the role should be reversed. You know Definitely. what I mean? If you want to cheat, you should have to pay the price for a cheat meal. Definitely. And, and the health food should be readily available to us fast, faster than the shit food. Yep. You know what I mean? But yep. Everything that's easy to, fast to make, easy to make easy price is there mm-hmm. same thing like you were just saying with the doctors prescribing the drugs we have a we have a drug <laughs> pill and heroin uh epidemic going oh, yeah. on right now but how do you think it started of course because these doctors there's still doctors i know to this day that you could go in there and say you have back pain and they'll give you 10 percocets yeah yeah you know, easily without, without even nothing no they, mri even, no nothing. cat scan no nothing yeah they'll say oh well you know you know, here's here's thirty perk fives. Yeah. If if it still hurts in a month, call me. Give back. me a call because they're getting kickbacks, and yeah. I and I just saw a documentary about it, and it's been going on forever. Um, it's been I mean forever meaning like you know we're talking probably since the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember how strong the oxycontins were? These young kids don't understand how strong these original oxycontin they were called. Uh, Jesus Christ, man! I mean these things were, they weren't made for horses. They weren't made for elephants. I could not believe. I took a little oh, tiny those are the ones that would make you itch out of your skin. Oh my god, you, they were like up. they look like UFOs and and you would take a little tiny br- like like a crumb off of one of them. Um I'm trying to think of what I can compare it to. It's smaller than anything you would break off of any pill. And I took it. It was like off of an 80 or 100 oxycontin. Um and I was sitting there and after like about a, a half hour like Yeah, a, like, like a, a big a, piece of Himalayan sea yeah, salt, yeah, yeah. right? I was like off my rocker, like cross-eyed, you yeah, know, yeah. passed out. You know, I woke yeah. up maybe three hours later and still banged up. Yeah, sick. So just imagine taking that whole pill. And they were saying at that time it wasn't addictive. Yeah. It wasn't addictive. You know, it didn't have any addictive properties. Yeah, yeah. So that's how this thing whole started. And like, you know, it's taken a lot of a lot of innocent lives. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, what you were talking about is how does all this thing start? Yeah. It started by you know us, basically the the government taking over as your new drug dealer, right? Mm. When we went into Afghanistan, we, the Marines were guarding poppy fields. Why the hell did we have our Marines 
taking over and guarding poppy fields in Afghanistan. Why not? Why aren't we supposed to fight other troops there or secure areas? Well, obviously, you know, um, I think Afghanistan and the Pakistan area probably exports close to 90% of the world's opiates. Um, and also the U.S. probably consumes close to that amount of the world's opiates. Yeah. We just basically became our own drug dealer. And we love it when you, you know, for instance, you not you, but the proverbial you. Yeah. And that's why we were prescribing, doctors were prescribing so much pain medication, uh, you know, for long periods of time, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Um, so that when you did come, because we knew you were going to come up with your problem. The doctors knew you were going to get hooked. They just didn't tell you. But when you got hooked, okay, we got this other thing for you. It's called Suboxone or Subutec or Methadone. Yeah. And now well, that's the crazy. And, and now you're clean. They're going to say mm-hmm. right. But now they're your drug dealers for life, and well, you're that, never going off that that's shit. That's the problem. So first they started with the Percocet, mm. and then realized because because the streets always take over everything. Of course. So they're selling us Percocet. Your boy down the street has heroin for a third of the price. Yeah. You go to heroin. Now the government starts hearing shit. We're getting beat. Yeah. So they make heroin and they call it methadone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just take the, the component out yeah, that, they, they, you they know. They made it cleaner so they yeah. know you can't basically, oh, I mean, I'm sure you can still OD. If you yeah, oh, definitely. It, definitely. But, but they monitor how much you take. Give it a longer half-life. Yep. Yep. And now they just clean up heroin and they give it to you and you tell you tell you you're clean now. And, and now they're hoping you don't go get it from the streets and you get it from them. Yeah, well, now they're they're, they're, they're your dealer. Yeah. Now you see the line that lines up, you know, every morning, yeah. and it's into the door of the office. Yeah. And so instead of you having to go into wherever neighborhood or wherever house or it could have been anywhere you got it, mm-hmm. now you just line up at the door and go into the, you know, it's, it's almost like they, they just made it, for hours. They made they it more convenient for, for yeah. you, you know, and they, they became your guy. They line at the grocery store for 10 minutes, but yeah. they'll wait in line for hours yeah. to get that. But it goes to show you why I think that's why that, you know, overall, you look at countries like Portugal that has made drugs legal. Mm-hmm. Dude, the usage, is, usage has gone down by, like, astronomical it's already numbers. already happening in, in um, what, yeah. Oregon or something? Well, that's weed. Kid, I'm talking about all drugs. Oregon, oh, yeah, they did all, like all drugs. Cocaine, yeah. all that is, is yeah. legal to carry. Yeah. Um, but not legal to sell, correct? It, correct. All right. But... But it's already starting. Already less, yeah. less shit going. Yeah. Less crime. Yes. Less, I mean, just like when the weed thing first became legal, and I think Colorado was the first place. Yeah. The the economy boomed. Yeah. Colorado was, was in a surplus. Bro, everybody was happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Colorado I mean, was in a surplus. As a matter of fact, now they started a, po- a popular tourist yeah. attraction. When the fuck did you want to go to Denver before <laughs> weed? I don't want to go in the cold fucking No, and, you, know and, and you get that altitude sickness. It's yeah. good for uh, it's good for skiing, obviously. Yeah. I mean, but those are people that are used to being up on mountains. But, you but like, a yeah, million people traveling to Denver to ski. No, yeah. no, Denver, Denver is gorgeous. I'm not gonna take oh, anything from sure, Denver. It's yeah. gorgeous, but like, no, it's well, not. Yeah, I've never been. I've never, especially wanted to with go the to altitude. You, you think you, know, you want to thing. go to the Bahamas or something? Uh, yeah, people yeah. Well, we for a romantic weekend. Well, we're from Connecticut, right? Like people from the Bahamas, though, they probably do want to go to like a cold climate. You know what I mean? But yeah. us, yeah, no, no. I'm th- I'm thinking about someplace warm for a yeah, long yeah. time. Fucking Denver. <laughs> ah. So that's it. Yeah, yeah, man. How 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 long we got going in? We're about an hour twenty. Shit, well, we probably got enough to fucking whittle down. You yeah, know. So let's let's wrap this up. But we got to come back for a part two, definitely. Oh yeah, of course. And um, look out. You know, we're we're talking about uh another podcast between the two of us where we're gonna go in. About all sorts of events, you know, current events like we're mm. talking about right now. So um, mm. that 
that might be in the works very soon as well. Mm. Um, is there anything you wanna you wanna leave on a on a certain Note. Is uh, there anything you want? To is there any message is that I want to leave them wanna, with? Do you want to leave them with a message? Do you well, wanna, I'll leave them with a T. Do we talk about the house thing at all oh, wait, before we go? Well, oh, oh, wow, that, wow. Do you want to wait? Uh, let me just tell you this. I, we're gonna we'll just drop Easter eggs every every time until I get it finished because I don't believe okay. shit until it stinks yep, and yep, like yep. I don't want something to happen and then all of a sudden oh yeah you know what had happened was I don't want to be that guy yeah, yeah, yeah so what I'm gonna say is. Um, can I say? Uh, all I gotta say is be on the lookout for for leather jacket Johnny's revenge. That's it. I mean, that not even be a name of anything. But all I gotta say is, man buns ain't just for metrosexuals. <laughs> That's all. There's your Easter egg. All right. That's it. Um, and then. Another thing is uh, how I wrap up each podcast is is I want to um, give you a chance to leave something about mental health. You know, you, you touched on it really good already, but is there something, any advice or, or anything you would recommend to people to, to take that next step forward or anyone that's struggling right now and doesn't know what to do about it? You know? I, I, would, I would say this. I would say try not to lean on medications. And try to lean on cognitive behavioral therapy. If you're an adult like myself who has already been put on, let's say, uh, alparazolam, which is a form of Xanax. When I was young, uh, they put me on it. Um, you know, we're talking in my teens um, and even into my 20s. And um, it, you know, I got addicted to it. I got addicted to the feeling of it because Anytime that I would get anxious, I would eat one and it would fix it. But I was putting a Band-Aid on a jugular. Um, now, at the age that I am, I'm trying to actually wean down and get off these things. It's taking me a long time. So what I would say is, even if you're an adult or especially if you're raising a child and you're having doctors tell you that you should be putting them on things that you're, like, follow your gut. There's no drug strong enough that your child, that some doctor that's only had a couple of times with them or or have seen them or taught them or doesn't even know them, don't trust them to tell you what to give your kid. You know your kid. You've been with your kid 24 hours. You take your child to a cognitive behavioral therapist and teach your child meditation and ways to think and ways to beat it and ways to hurdle it. Don't keep on putting Band-Aids on jugulars. You know what I mean? Sew it up. Get the surgery. I like it. I like it. So we're going to wrap it up there. Um, obviously, always appreciate you. Yeah, coming. man. Um, we we rocking tomorrow or what? We'll do it again. No, Her no, I'm saying we'll do this again, but I'm saying uh, Big Hermit Drago. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, we got... we got. Uh, what what day is it today? We got leg, we got leg day, is day Is it Wednesday today? Today's Wednesday. Oh, so, so, so Thursday is the curm killer. We got one o'clock chicken legs. <laughs> one, yo, <laughs> no, no, frog legs. <laughs> frog legs. Frog legs. Chicken's got rips, bro. Yeah, Frogs yeah, just... Yeah, they right, they right. just... Yeah, yeah. We got the, we got the Big Kermit Drago... Kermit Keller workout. Tune in. I mean, right now, honestly, whoever want on, if you want this smoke, my first lit, my first squash at one seventy five. If you want that type of smoke, and then I might, how much I go up to, bro? On uh, what? Don't hurt him. Don't hurt him. On my squat. Two twenty five. Shit. <laughs> if you shit. shit, let me say, if you well, if you want that type of smoke, you just come down, and we'll figure it out. 
All right, man. Again, that's Gary Falcone. This has been the Fit and Shit Podcast. Tune in next time. Thank you. Let's get it.